So before I begin, a couple of questions uh, for you guys. So everyone here works in a startup? Awesome. How many of you, your goal is to build a financially successful startup? Awesome. Yeah, I know the VCs at the back of the room are going to be saying that. So I think the nub of what Devin was getting to when he asked me to come and talk about this is if, is like, uh, if you go pursuing this, uh, this kind of like uh, tantalizing eth- ethereal idea of building this financially successful company, I think you fail. <laughs> um, what I've learned, uh, at TransferWise, so from like a, I've worked with many startups, uh, but uh, most of the experience I'll be talking about today is from, from TransferWise, so sample size of one, um, is that if you focus on building, on solving a customer problem really well, as an outcome of that, you'll build a financially successful company. And what I'm going to try and talk through is the logical framework for how you go from solving a customer problem really well to ending up as an outcome having a, a financially successful company. And I call companies that run this way, um, semantically, a mission-driven startup. Okay, so quick intros, I'm Nalan. I'm VP Growth at uh, TransferWise. I've um, been there for six years. Um, I have been at TransferWise from the very, very, very beginning, uh, and it was just Christo and Tarvet. I um, was intro to them by uh, an angel who said, you've got to meet these guys. They've got a great product. They have no customers. And uh, I met them and I thought, and I, yeah, and I started working with them part-time. Uh, and then I went full-time about uh, six years ago. I'm responsible for the uh, product teams and marketing teams at TransferWise, about 300 people today. Um, okay. So these are the six steps we're going to go through. Step one, how to be mission-driven. Two, how to solve a, a real customer problem. Three, uh, capturing less value than you create. Four, building a 10x product. Five, really the role of marketing in a mission-driven startup. And six, how you scale. So start off with uh, the TransferWise mission. Um, so our mission is to make uh, money without borders. Uh, so moving money at the moment is really expensive, very slow, and very inconvenient. And we're trying to trying to solve that. So to make uh, the speed of money transfer go to instant, uh, prices go to near zero, and convenience to the touch of a button. And we go a step further than this. So about uh, four years ago, uh, we created the notion of uh, being a mission-driven startup. I really instigated this uh, because I was worried that we were focusing too much on things like revenue. <laughs> and uh, growth. So the idea behind a a mission-driven startup is the purpose of the startup is to solve the mission. And it's a kind of catalyst for achieving that change in the world. And what I saw was when we made decisions with this at the heart of it, we ended up building a a really incredibly strong product company and uh, had a very strong commercial foundation for the business. So uh, we made a pretty big kind of directional shift four years ago in saying foundationally that the objective of the company was to achieve the mission. Quite interestingly, that mission I put up, uh, so we've been going for eight years, we didn't have that mission written down for the first three. And the main reason for that is we've got two founders and they'd never agreed on 
anything, and they still don't agree on much. So we uh, it took a, a long while to kind of uh, kind of get almost the company to the point at which we could collectively write down that that mission. But although we never had the mission, we were always very clear on the problem that we were solving. So let's talk a little bit about that. So all startups, I hope all of you guys uh, are started to solve a real problem. Uh, so uh, Travis couldn't get a cab, uh, so founded Uber. Um, and for, with Christo and Tarvet, they were pissed off with the costs of moving money internationally. So um, Christo was actually, uh, eight years ago, uh, he was working at, he was working at, I think, PwC in Estonia. And he was sending money uh, to uh, pay a mortgage in London. And it was costing a thousand pounds. And each time he sent a thousand pounds, he lost 50 quid in the fee. And it was a hidden fee in the exchange rate. And Tarvet was working at Skype in London and sending a thousand pounds to Estonia. And every time he sent a thousand pounds, he checked the fee, I checked the rate versus what Google said. And he saw again a different rate and he calculated he was losing 50 quid each time. They shopped around and everyone they looked at, every bank they looked at, every provider they looked at had a hidden fee in the rate and it was costing about 50 quid to move money internationally. So they came up with a, a genius idea. Uh, Tarvet paid Christo's mortgage and Christo put money into Tarvet's savings account. They both saved 50 quid. That was the first version of Francoise, right? So very fast, very cheap, <laughs> very easy to use and no lines of code. It worked so well, uh, they created the second version of TransferWise, which was a Skype chat, where they invited all their friends and said, who's sending GBP to Euro, who's sending Euro to GBP, and matched everyone up. This worked so well, it got to the point that Christo one day just built uh, a website, the third version of TransferWise, which was just a form, and asked people who wants to send GBP to Euro, Euro to GBP, have two bank accounts, and then... Uh, People send their uh, orders through and match the orders and then do payouts. So the amazing thing about this is when you dig into money transfer, this is how banks move money internationally today. So it doesn't actually cost uh, £50 to move £1,000 worth of, uh, of money internationally. If you fast forward to where we are today, we're moving more than £3 billion a month, still kind of doubling in size every 9 to 12 months but more crucially, saving our customers more than £3 million a day uh, with over 30 price drops in the last nine months. Today, we've got over 5 million customers worldwide and over 2 million debit card transactions. Uh, offices all over the world, and we've been profitable for two years. But the stat I'm most proud of is this uh, green line. So the blue line is our, our new user growth. Uh, the green line is a kind of indicative, uh, but it's the number of users that came um, who found TransferWise after hearing about TransferWise from a friend. So, and that stands at about 80% of our customers uh, came in through word of mouth. So why do people recommend our product? We try to understand that by, by talking to customers and looking at things like net promote score. How many of you are, fam how many of you are familiar with NPS? Okay, everyone, awesome. Uh, so I'll whiz over this. You see this question frequently. Uh, would you recommend us to your friends at a scale of 1 to 10? If someone gives you a 9 or a 10, you call them a promoter. You imagine they go around telling, telling everybody to use TransferWise. A 1 to 6, uh, you call them a detractor. 
And they go around telling people, don't use Transwise. Um, and seven and eight are kind of like meh in the middle. So you calculate MPS by taking the promoters away from the detractors, and you end up with a percentage. So the cool thing we see in our data when we look at it, it's something I call the MPS Richter scale. So when you move people from giving you a 7 out of 10 to an 8 out of 10, they literally like double the number of people they tell. And an 8 to a 9, they double the number of people again they tell. So it's quite obvious when you think about this. If you have more, if someone's a promoter and they're saying they're going to recommend you to their friends, uh, then, and if you have more promoters than detractors, then you're kind of going to grow, right? Kind of, it's kind of obvious when you think about it. But the reason why everyone doesn't do this is moving MPS is actually pretty hard. I try and talk through why. So most of you have built a product and you're pretty happy when it works the first time. So you mentioned the first time we did a money transfer and uh, no one lost their money and it turned up at the other end, like we're pretty happy. Um, and then you people focus on uh, ironing out the bugs and most founders and product people kind of stop there. A few people go a bit further and try to optimize the process end-to-end and try to improve the, the conversion rate. But none of that really moves MPS. So to move MPS, what you've got to do is to give your customers an experience that they didn't believe was previously possible. That's the point at which they'll give you a 9 or a 10 out of 10. And that's what you need to aspire to do to get to this kind of mission-driven growth that I'm going to be talking about. So how do you do that? I'm going to go into a bit of detail now around what actually we do at TransferWise to move MPS and to drive growth. And this is back to that, like, how do we solve our, how do we solve that problem? How do we, uh, of money transfer being expensive and slow? So when we ask people, why, uh, why do you, would you recommend TransferWise or why wouldn't you recommend TransferWise? They give us a, a bunch of reasons. We can break those reasons into two broad buckets. One bucket is very rational reasons of why they use TransferWise. And then there's uh, some emotional, softer reasons as well they share. The rational ones, when you listen carefully, they're describing the product. The softer, emotional ones, they're talking about our mission. Any other company would say our brand. I I don't use the word brand because it really confuses our marketing team. But our mission. So on the product side, uh, the words they use is things like, you've got to use TransferWise because it's really cheap or because it's really fast or because it's really easy to use, or I'm not using TransferWise because you guys are too expensive, or you're too hard to use. And through listening to customers enough and analyzing the the NPS, you kind of get, we kind of got down to these, uh, what we call our product pillars, price, speed, ease of use, coverage. And I encourage you to do the same with your product. What we found with each of these things, we can measure them, you can measure price, you can measure speed, you can measure ease of use. So when we enter a market, we get explosive growth, when we're 10 times better than the alternative in the market. So take price. Banks typically charge, say, 5% to move money internationally. If we charged 4.8, we'd get a customer, but they wouldn't tell their mom about us, right? Banks charge 5%, we charge now 0.3. You send a thousand pounds, you save 47 pounds. So you do that four times, like you got 200 pounds. So people would talk, people would talk about that. They'll say like, uh, they won't say use transferwise. They'll say, don't use your bank when you're sending money internationally. With speed now, where 20% of our transfers happen instantly. So literally you go through the flow, you put in the details, you hit send, and we define instant as uh, settling within 20 seconds. So the money is available to pay out within 20 seconds. 
10 times better than any bank. But back to that mission thing I talked about, we didn't do this because as a kind of growth hack. So it's not like uh, we sat there and figured out the marginal cost of improving the speed by 10% versus the incremental number of users we were going to get through doing that. We did it because money transfer is expensive and it's slow and it's hard to use. And we figured out it is possible to make it really cheap and really fast. And whoever manages to do that first will have solved this very big problem in the world. And that's our mission. And our customers see our authenticity in trying to achieve the mission as our principal drive. And they talk about that as well. This is an email we sent out to our customer base. Um, it's the first time we tried to share our mission with our customers. We, we just thought they wanted cheap transfers. We sent this out about six years ago. And this was our most successful email we ever sent. So when you look at it, there's no, uh, there's no call to action. There's no promo. There's no imagery. But this email got forwarded on more than any other marketing we'd ever done. And off the back of this, we acquired more customers than we'd done previously. And it was at this point we realized that our internal motivation for achieving the mission was shared by our customer base. And not only was that a reason they'd advocate transferwise, uh, they'd actually try and help us achieve it, which I'll talk about in a bit as well. So you all want to build financial sec successful companies. My, uh, the foundation has to be to be mission-driven around solving a real customer problem that you've identified. To solve that problem, my recommendation is you organize your product teams around the drivers of Net Promoter Score. So understand what would it take to get your customers to recommend your product. When we talked to our customers and figured out why they'd recommend our product, they told us what mattered them was price, speed, ease of use. We took those things and we made it our mission to make those problems a thing of the past. So we identified a problem. We talked to customers around the problem. We identified like the broad pillars that we needed to solve to move that problem. And then we put product teams on trying to move that. When we move that materially, so when we were 10 times better than the alternative, that's when we get the growth. Okay, let's keep going. So capture less value than you create. So product, uh, in my mind, is a prioritization problem. So at the end of the day, you've got one, two, three, four, or 200 engineers, and an engineer can only work on one thing at the time. <laughs> and a lot of uh, the magic around product management is really figuring out how to put things in a list. Uh, one key thing I've learned is if you're going to put things in a list, you have to figure out how to prioritize them. And it's very hard to run with uh, three or four prioritization criteria. Right? If you're going to put it in a single list, you can't have a multidimensional list. Right? And the two different prioritization criteria I've seen uh, businesses run with are they usually have a, a list of things they know they could do that would make their customers happy. And they have a list of things they can do that would make money. And every company I've ever worked at had both these lists and kind of knows what should be on the mate, what they should do to make customers happy. But instead, the short term need to keep shareholders happy is what they did. And if they had any time left over, they'd do a couple of things from the customer list. So obviously, I'm advocating um, 
just do one thing, which is to make customers happy sustainably. Right? So obviously you can't, uh, can't keep running a business at a loss forever, but still using customers as, as a North Star to prioritize what you're doing is kind of uh, critical in building these mission-driven businesses. How do, you, uh, how do you explain that to shareholders, though? How do you have a board meeting where uh, you're sitting down with C and uh, the guys from C Camp and the other, other investors on your board, and they're like, uh, talk me through the return on investment on the projects that you're running right now, and talk me through why you're not like, investing more in marketing or putting up your prices and uh, increasing the valuation of your business. Um, so I'll talk you through how I, I, I've done this. So step one, uh, so what we do is we create a huge amount of value for our customers. So we build this product that's 10 times better than anything else in the market. Then critically, critically we charge as, as little as possible. Uh, so we, we capture less value than we create. We don't sit there trying to uh, uh, drop the price by 3% and see if we get more than 3% more customers, does that make sense, to grow more revenue. We have a, f- a flat margin, and as we keep dropping our costs, our price drops. So we charge as little as possible. What that does uh, for those economics buffs in the room is that creates something called a consumer surplus. So uh, the fact that you're, what happens to all that excess value you're creating because you're not capturing it as revenue is that value is going to consumers and it becomes goodwill. So they start, and that goodwill turns into recommendation and word of mouth growth. So customers know they've got a good deal. And as you all know, your valuation of your company is driven off your cash flow and your growth rate. So that turns back into your, uh, into your growth, uh, into your growth rate and therefore into your, into shareholder value. Makes sense, right? So create a huge amount of value for your customers, capture less value than you create. That then creates a huge amount of goodwill with your customer base who then talk about your product, that turns into growth, and that turns into shareholder value. So we take this like a few steps further, and, uh, and we're quite, uh, quite zealous on this stuff, so I'll just share, share some of this. Um, so we, we don't actually think of revenue as our money. We think of revenue as our customers' money, and they've given it to us to invest in accelerating progress towards our, the mission. And we, we, we treat it that way as well. Uh, so culturally, this comes across in like hundreds of little ways from everyone flying economy wherever they go in the world because it's not our money <laughs> through, to, uh, through to how we think about where we should invest money and using customers still as the North Star for, for driving that. So as I said, we've been driving down the costs of money transfer um, massively versus the banks over time. And every quarter now, we share with our customer base uh, where we've got to on price. And crucially, the 19% odd that we invest back into in the product in driving price down or making it faster or making it more convenient, uh, how and where we've done that. So being customer-led means putting customers ahead of your shareholders. Relentlessly li- listening to them helps you kind of discover that mission. Does that make sense? So again, to, to recap, so to turn this like from just being mission driven to turn it into growth. It's about uh, uh, listening to your customers, building a, a product that's 10 times better at solving the problem they've got today. And then capturing less value than you create. That turns into uh, goodwill. Uh, they talk about that. That then turns into growth. 
Next step, building a 10 times better product. So you've heard me use this phrase a few times. And most of you are thinking, okay, I've got these lists. Uh, I've got this list of things I know that my customers want me to do. And I know I've got this list of things I could do to make money, revenue generating projects. And you're thinking, if I do that list of things that uh, my customers want me to do, I hear what you're saying, Nalan, but I'm not convinced I'm going to grow explosively like TransferWise. And you're right. So not all products uh, generate this kind of customer-led growth. And I've come up with this, this phrase we use of, uh, you have to be a, a 10x better product to generate uh, customer-led growth. So I'll share a little around what I've learned about building a 10x better product. Well, if you're building something that's 10 times better than anything in the market, it means by definition you're building something that doesn't exist. And you don't even really even know if, you're, if it's ever going to exist. <laughs> and as I tell our product teams, if you're not in that state of existential crisis, uh, you're not trying hard enough. So quite practically, like, there's no team like uh, changing the button color and seeing if we grow by 5% more because that, that's not really going to move the needle. It's not a step change on price or speed or ease of use. And those are the things that the only kinds of things that will drive a return, return on capital and the kind of growth that our, our customers are looking for. So I'll share a couple of uh, practical examples of how we've built it just to kind of bring to life the kind of things you need to do in order to achieve this. So I'll talk about what we did in Singapore and what we did in the UK. So we have a hundred people in Singapore now. Uh, four years ago, we had nobody. And we went to the government of Singapore and said, we, we'd love a license uh, to send money from Singapore. We have 2,000 people in Singapore on the wait list. And they said, sure thing, but you need to meet every single one of those customers face-to-face and check their papers in person before you take their money. And we said... We're familiar with FATF, the Global Anti-Money Laundering Convention, and you don't need to meet people before you take their money in Australia, in the US, in Europe. And so in Singapore, that's true, but in Singapore, you're going to meet every single person before you take their money. And we sent a small verification team out to Singapore, and we started physically verifying all the customers on the wait list. And the experience was shit. So you kind of like, you went through the app, and you tried to do a money transfer from Singapore, and at the end, it invited you in to uh, go see Jack and his team. And Jack's a nice guy, but still, it was pretty, pretty inconvenient. And the, the muscle we built was that when our customers complained to us, we, we got them not to complain to us, but to complain to the regulator. And we spent a year building a campaign uh, to update Singapore's KYC rules. And it took a year of lobbying, uh, both kind of uh, hard power and soft power, a lobbying. Uh, example of the soft power lobbying was uh, Singapore was desperate for us to become, open an office there and be the fintech hub for uh, APAC uh, versus Sydney. And we were like, sure, we'll do that if you have 20th century, 21st century KYC rules. So after a year of lobbying and our customers uh, complaining and creating a campaign around this, we got the world's first license to do online KYC in Singapore. So you can take a selfie take a picture of your, of your ID card and then do a money transfer. 10 times better product. Took in total about two years to get there, two, three years. And as I said, we, we were in that state of existential crisis every day when you're manually verifying, are we ever going to get this selfie uh, verification? Because this manual process is never going to scale. But that's kind of what it feels like building a 10 times better product.
I'll touch briefly on the UK as well. GBP Euro was our first route, and we figured out our customers cared about price. We wanted to move price down. And one of the principal uh, uh, costs was the fee we needed to pay our bank in the UK. That was Barclays. Every time we, we used the bank account to do a payout. So uh, you can maybe think maybe we need to find a cheaper bank so we could have a cheaper fee as we scale volume and then we can lower prices. But there's this point that comes in product where you think, actually, what is the lowest possible price cost we could have for moving money in the UK? What's, what's the marginal cost of moving money in the UK? And to get to the lowest possible price, you need to be plugged directly into the faster payment scheme with a bank account at the Bank of England. So we realized that's what we needed five years ago. And uh, we started when we were tiny. So I'm talking like, I don't know, we were uh, only like 60, 70 people lobbying David Cameron's government at the time to open up access to the faster payment scheme to fintechs. And this became part of David Cameron's uh, fintech strategy of opening up the underlying banking infrastructure to enable innovation uh, to happen. And we worked with the government to create the what's called the regulatory sandbox, uh, which enabled the FCA to uh, open up this kind of essential public infrastructure to, to startups. And this was a long, long process. This was five years' work. Uh, and we had to kind of uh, define a lot of the process as we went along. But uh, fast forward to today, and it's the, the three big clearing banks and us uh, that have direct access to faster payments with a big bank account at the Bank of England today, and therefore have the lowest marginal cost of moving money, uh, doing a payout or a pay-in in the UK today. Again, 10 times better product than anyone else in the market. Okay, cool. So building a 10 times better product, to recap, it means building something that doesn't exist. It takes a long time, usually has many setbacks. And to get through this, you really need to build this like conviction on it's really worth doing this because this is what matters to customers and be motivated by this mission. So I built the marketing team at Crunchwise and actually I've met Tarbet and Christo at the beginning as uh, when it was just the two of them. I think the first thing I did was to launch uh, AdWords, uh, the first Crunchwise AdWords campaign with them. And it's this thing I see with early stage founders that uh, marketing is this magical growth machine, right? It's just like, we're going to spend money on marketing and it's going to, everything's going to be awesome. It just doesn't work that way. So I'll kind of talk you through what I've learned about marketing. So kind of the theory goes, you uh, spend some money, you get some ads, and then you get a customer. And then they give you some money and then you spend that money and you get some more ads and you get some more customers. And then you kind of, kind of keep, you keep investing and investing and investing like this. And then you kind of show uh, a graph like this to a VC like C and say, look, you invest in marketing and it's just going to go like this. It's going to be awesome. But the graph doesn't look like that. It looks like that, <laughs> right? So I'm not sure how many experienced marketeers there are here, but uh, every marketing channel on the planet has diminishing returns as you put more money into it, i.e. as you keep doubling the spend in marketing, you get less and less revenue back. And one of the most formative, uh, I worked in startups for like 15 years, one of the most uh, formative stages of a startup is when they realize this is happening. And it's this point on this curve. Because right? what happens at this point I've seen is like, this is a kind of two schools of thought. So what's happening here is you're spending money on marketing and growth is slowing down. And then these two schools of thought emerge. One is 
we just need to spend more. <laughs> right? uh, and then there's a few people saying, well, maybe we should spend less and try to understand, like, focus on the product, focus on solving our customer problems better. But that, that voice very rarely gets heard. So just just don't do this, okay? Uh, and what I'm quite fond of saying is, like, this infinitely scalable marketing channel, like the idea that you can just keep putting money into this into Google or into Facebook and you're just going to keep growing, it just doesn't work. I mean, it works to a point, but eventually it slows down. Um, so quite interestingly, so I uh, lead the marketing team, but I, I didn't figure this out. Uh, my um, Our marketing team figured this out, and I'm going to share with you how they think about marketing at TrendsWise. And they think about it in a very product way. So... Much like uh, a product team, they ask themselves, what is the problem marketing is solving? So th the answer a marketing team normally has is, our job is to find new users. And that's kind of like where you start ending up with that graph, right? So the way they define it is in solving like one of the problems we need to solve in order to achieve the mission. And the problem they solve is this one, which is that 71% of people in the UK don't know there's a fee in the exchange rate. And the marketing team's goal is to solve that problem. So most people, when they go to their bank and their bank says there's a £3 fee to do the money transfer, they don't check the exchange rate. They just think, okay, that's fine. That's pretty cheap. I'm going to do a money transfer with my bank. They don't realize there's a 5% markup in the fee. So the kinds of things our marketing team do, they created a campaign to change the law, to make it illegal for banks to hide fees in the exchange rate. So this is a campaign from four years ago, and we took it to Parliament, and it failed, right? So we didn't succeed in changing the law at that point in time. But last year, we got the law passed in Europe, which is pretty awesome, and it's being uh, transposed into law in all the European major states at the moment. So whenever you do a money transfer, it's to clearly show the fee up front. And we've even managed to get it transposed into UK legislation uh, pre-Brexit as well. So it's pretty awesome. And that's the kind of thing our marketing team works on. But what does something like the affiliate marketing team do? So they, they used to define themselves as uh, finding more customers. So if you tell a team to find more customers, they'll go and find a high-traffic website like Coupon Chief and put coupon codes on the website. And that's like... I'm not sure how much you guys know about marketing, but this is very low quality users and very bad idea. If you start defining yourself as solving this problem of making people aware there's a fee in the exchange rate, you go and find websites like this, which is a Portuguese, Brazilian website, which has got an audience of, of, of people who send money internationally. I think it's a travel blog. And you sit down with the editor of the website and you explain to them there's a fee hidden in the exchange rate and they almost organically write content for you on this. And 30% of our users come through marketing today, and uh, affiliates like this are about 10% of our users today. So it scaled pretty well. How does this work with uh, what's called viral growth? So yeah, we've got a referral friend scheme. Uh, out of the 70% uh, that come in organically uh, through word of mouth, uh, 30% are incentivized with this scheme and 40% are, are pure word of mouth. Um, so we have a, a product manager, um, product team that looks after this. And uh, I actually started this uh, product team myself uh, I don't know, six years ago. 
So if you've been, if you run an invite program for six years, you've tested everything after six years. You've tested, we tested changing the amount, giving away chocolate. Like, uh, if you invite someone to transferwise, you'll get the reward or I get the reward. And, um, you kind of hit diminishing returns on what to do. Um, a product manager we had in the viral team about two years ago, uh, spotted something pretty smart, which I'll share with you. It comes back to the mission again. So this is pretty old. This is the email we, we used to send out when, uh, when you are transfer completed. It looks much, it's much prettier now. And, uh, there's this little thing at the bottom here, which says you saved £10.66. What this product manager noticed was customers believed they saved money with Transwise, but didn't believe this number. And then him and his team spent, uh, I think it was like a month iterating this email till they got it to the point that when a customer looked at this, they believed the saving number. And it meant doing these, what we call comparison graphs that look like this. So they got, this is the rate you saw on Google. This is the rate with TransferWise. This is the rate with your bank. This is what the upfront fee is. Putting this into this email and putting the uh, call to action to invite your friends. So that led to a 600% increase in invite rate. So take a step back. Rather than doing the usual uh, traditional marketing optimizations of tweaking the uh, invite scheme of incentives, etc., uh, you kind of got to diminishing returns on growth rate. Helping customers understand how much they'd actually saved with us drove a massive increase in growth. And the marketing teams explaining the problem we're solving and the value we're creating. When they do that, we see a much more material impact. We've taken this to SEO. So uh, if you fast forward to today, we've now got, I think, about 200 bank accounts around the world. I think I've got about 70 in my name and we log on uh, every day and we do uh, a scrape of uh, get a quote for a price on over I think it's about 1500 routes and we do that once an hour and we put it into a database and we built a, a comparison tool. So now like if you google NatWest money transfer uh, you get back a page I think this ranks in position two or three a page which explains how much it costs to move money with transfer with NatWest, how, what the fee's done over time. And it's a pretty big source of customers for, for us today. Same thing with Western Union. And if they happen to be running a promo where they may be cheaper than us, we show that to our customers too. Okay, so just to finish up on marketing, almost done now. So when the product is working, add marketing. Marketing isn't a magical growth machine, but it can amplify the growth of a mission-driven product. So finally, uh, scaling. So uh, the way we're organized is we run in these uh, autonomous teams um, that focused on these KPIs, kind of like uh, price speed and ease of use broken down a level further, that make a difference to our customers and drive our growth. Let me talk through this a little. So I'm going to talk through a simplified version of our org chart. So we're like 1,500 people now. So it's a very simplified version from four years ago. And we had about seven teams. So we had seven teams around the problems you needed to solve in order to achieve the mission. So one problem is people aren't aware there's a fee in the exchange rate. The next one is people need to be onboarded to transferwise, like how do you use it? 
Next one is we need to verify you are who you say you are and be compliant with local laws. Next one is we need to be regulated in the market that you're in. Uh, then obviously the payment needs to move in and out very fast and very cheap. We also have teams on emotions, so a team on reducing worry through the process and a team on evangelism, like why would you recommend that virality team I talked about. And these are the team names. So you have a team on comparison, marketing, conversion, verification, the currencies, operations, experience, and virality. So the fun thing here is like, uh, so when I sit, stand up in front of our board every quarter and say, how much are we going to grow? We're going to grow at the rate at which these teams solve their problems. So if the virality team learn how to make our customers more evangelical or experience team learn how to reduce worry through the process or we figure out how to drop the costs and we've kind of un we haven't modeled through it's pretty hard to model through even today the uh, marginal growth we're going to get from dropping price by 10% if that makes sense but we have a lot of conviction and we have plans around how the KPIs against each of these things is going to move over time and our growth rate is constrained at the rate we, we hire people, onboard them into those teams. They learn how, what matters to customers and how to impact those KPIs. And we grow at the rate at which they solve our customers' problems. That's it. So it's pretty long, but I think hopefully it helped, right? So uh, this concept I've talked through is this idea of what a mission-driven startup is. And it starts off by being mission-driven, by being really focused on solving, motivated on solving a, a customer problem that exists. So you can use, uh, once you found this problem, you can use tools like MPS and just talking to customers to learn, these are the things I need to get better at to solve the problem. I need to make it cheaper for us, faster, and easier to use. We then make that our mission. To get the explosive word of mouth growth, you capture less value than you create. And to also to get it, you need to have a 10 times better product, which means building something that's never been done before. So it's going to take, it's going to be a long, hard slog to do that. Marketing isn't the magical answer to this, but can amplify uh, the work that you've done in product up to that point. And then fundamentally, your, your growth rate is constrained at the rate at which you hire people that can solve these problems.